How many are ready to get into the Word this morning? Are you ready to get in the Word this morning? How many were here last week? You heard the Word? How many were here the week before you heard the Word? This week, we are about to jump into a new series. So before we get started, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for your Word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to minister. Lord, an opportunity to minister your word, an opportunity to minister your grace. Lord, I pray as we go through this series, we have an understanding of who you are and who we are in you. Lord, I pray that it stays with us, that it sticks with us. Lord, that we don't just hear it and let it go, but Lord, that we bring it into our jobs. We bring it into our into our friends, our relatives. Lord, let us be aware, fully aware of the grace of God in our lives. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In case you're curious, the series we are going to begin, we're going to be starting today is called Galatians. Go to the slide there, Mike. We're going to be doing a study in grace or a study of grace. One of the great privileges of my life is the opportunity to share the messages that the Lord has laid on my heart many times, uh, week in and week out, right? Sometimes you'll know that those messages are topical. So like last week, it was all about love. That was topical, right? And sometimes those messages are expository. If you know me, you know that I like expository, go verse by verse, right? And so one of the great things we see about the book of Galatians is the opportunity to really walk the line in between both. And so it is a book filled with opportunity for teaching. It provides a clear narrative. Uh, And then it also has these incredible themes of the freedoms that we have in Christ. Say freedom this morning. Say grace this morning. Right? I want to begin this morning with the understanding that what we call the book of Galatians is in reality it's a letter to the leaders or the pastors of the churches in the area known as Galatia. Now you say, well, where's Galatia? And today it would be modern Turkey. It's one of what we call the epistles or the letters. It's written by the Apostle Paul, and it begins in this way, in Galatians 1, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Paul, an apostle, say an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever amen we we begin with Paul how many are pretty familiar with Paul you'd say i'm pretty familiar with who Paul is right paul is an apostle so bible 101 okay everybody say bible 101 This means beginning levels of of Bible teaching. Paul, who is also called Saul, is a persecutor of the early church. He's a persecutor. He's a Jewish leader. On the road to Damascus, we know Christ reveals himself to Saul, and Saul is forever changed, right? Now, I had this whole joke planned about Saul on the road to Damascus and how, you know, when he was on the road, he got the S knocked out of him and, 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 you know, yeah, see that joke? That, that's how that it was about to go. Uh, here's the thing. How many are aware that Saul's name didn't actually change? 
His name didn't change from Saul to Paul. You'd say, well, wait a second. I, I, I've been told my whole, my whole life he was on the road to Damascus. He had this experience with Jesus. And now it went from Saul to Paul. Saul's name did not change to Paul. It's been preached many times. It went from Saul to Paul. But there's no need to change history to suit a sermon. Saul is the Hebrew version of his name. Paul is the Greek version of his name. So, in fact, he's referred to Saul 11 times after his conversion. So, 11 times after the road to Damascus, he's, he's referred to as Saul. And, in fact, it's, it's an interesting thing. The point here is this. Saul didn't have to change his name to be changed by God. Saul didn't have, his, have to have his name changed to be changed by God. So, I want to I say, uh, oh, let's say Matt. Matt, his, his name is Matt, right? Matt, is it Matthew or Matt? Okay, we're going to go with Matt. So Matt is on, the, is on the road. He's living a sinful life. He's doing evil things. He's on this road, and, and he experiences salvation and grace of God, right? He experiences this amazing transformational experience. My phone is responding for some reason. I hate my phone right now. It's all right. I'm going to show it grace. Matt, what's a, what's a name that rhymes with Matt? Pat. Oh, boy. You guys remember Pat from Silent Life? Anybody? You remember? Let's not go there. Anyway, it's not as if Matt has an experience with Christ, and all of a sudden now he has to change his name to Pat, right? Saul doesn't have to change his name to Paul. It's not the name change that affects him. It's the experience and the encounter with Jesus Christ. How many know we can have an encounter, and if it, I mean, honestly, we can have an experience, but if it's not with Jesus, it doesn't have lasting impact. How many ever had an experience in your life? Come on. How many have ever had, an, I mean, an experience that shook you? How many have ever been on a roller coaster that just, listen, I went on a roller coaster when I was a kid. It was one of those, it was, it was at a local carnival, so you know it was like well-made and well-maintained. And it was called the Ring of Fire. Yeah. So I get into the Ring of Fire, and I'm, even back then, I was kind of a bigger guy. And so I get down, and I'm tall, and I go to put the seatbelt on, and I don't feel like it's connected very well. And so you have to understand that in the Ring of Fire, you, they hang you upside down for more than a few minutes. And then they have you come back down and go up, and, and they hang you upside down again. And I kid you not, it was an experience. It was an experience for me and for those around me. I was screaming, I'm going to die. How many know, unless we have an encounter with Jesus, an experience with Jesus, it's not going to have lasting, everlasting, eternal impact, right? We refer to him as Paul the Apostle moving forward, mainly because of the shift or the church shift from Jerusalem to Rome. And so Luke refers to him as Paul many times. And so we do that same thing. And you say, Pastor David, does it matter? Why does it matter? And to that, I would say this. Scriptural truth always matters. Amen? Scriptural truth always matters. One minister said it this way. As God's people, we should endeavor to read God's Word closely and be as faithful to it as possible in every area. Application that appears to draw on Scripture, but isn't actually scriptural, even if it's useful or cool, can easily undermine someone's faith once they realize they've been misled. 
So we talked about the nativity scenes and how the magi or the wise men are always at the nativity scene, right? But in reality, they weren't there. They weren't there. I remember when I preached that message like four or five years ago about the magi not being there at the nativity. People were like, no. Like they'd never heard that before, right? Why? Because unfortunately, a lot of people like to hear something and go, well, that's just the way it is. Or the pastor says it, the preacher says it, and go, oh, that's just the way it is. I would encourage you, take what I say and go and use it for study in your own life. Right? We want to, we want to read the Word of God for ourselves. Amen? What is an apostle? An apostle is one who is sent by God. Say sent. Sent by God. An apostle. And here, Paul is emphasizing who he is and the calling on his life. He makes it a point to not only emphasize his title, but why he has that title. He says, it is not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, in some ways, a title is justified and earned, right? How many know that sometimes in people emphasizing their title, they come off as a little arrogant or proud, right? I saw a cup or a mug, and it said, Mr. And then, it, and then it had a check mark, like a, an X through it. Then it said, Mrs., then it had an X through it. Then it said, Miss, and it had an X through it. It said, excuse me, it's doctor. <laughs> Carol Cody got a kick out of that one. Because how many ever met somebody that you go, hey, Fred, how you doing, man? He goes, it's doctor. Right? I know pastors. Who that I love, and I believe in in understanding, having a, a level of respect for for the position and things like that. But but man, pastors who if you go up and say, "Hey, Fred, how you doing?" That's Pastor Fred. I know one pastor, and I'm, this is kind of a weird deal, where uh, for years I I actually grew up with him as my pastor. Grew up for years and years and years as Pastor Fred. And anytime I saw him, I would call him Pastor Fred as a sign of respect and love and. And, and, and that's fine, and that's appreciated. But uh, then one day, he decided to change his title from pastor to apostle. And so somebody came up, and actually, I saw him after he did this. I saw him, and I said, hey, Pastor Fred, how you doing? He goes, it's apostle. I go, oh, what changed? Like, I really thought, what changed? Because apostle means sent one. If we think about apostle in the early times, the New Testament, we think about those who encountered Jesus personally. And then we think about apostles today, and we think about apostles who are over many churches or multiple ministries. They're also called bishops in some circles. So it was interesting where this pastor of one church all of a sudden referred to himself as apostle. And I went, well, wait a minute, what changed? And the fact is nothing changed. He just wanted to be called apostle from then on. It seems to me that some people in justifying their title do so out of arrogance or they do so out of pride. This isn't what Paul meant to do here. And this isn't what Paul did here. In Guzik's commentary, he quotes Martin Luther and he says this, when I was a young man, I thought Paul was making too much of his calling or too much of his title. I did not understand his purpose. I did not then realize the importance of the ministry. We exalt our calling not to gain glory among men or money or satisfaction or favor, but because people need to be assured that the words we speak are the words of God. This was not sinful pride on the hands of Paul. This was holy pride. 
He was understanding what God had called him to. He was understanding what God had put him in the position of. And so he called himself apostle as a reminder to the Galatian people that he was writing to them as a messenger of God. We don't necessarily see why now, but we will see as we move forward in the series, why did Paul have to make sure they understood he was an apostle? Because they were familiar with him. They were familiar with him and his ministry. So why did he have to make sure that they understood he was an apostle, that he was sent by God? We will see that later on in the series. And then he gives them this beautiful greeting. I like this. He says this, grace and peace to you in the name of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good way to greet somebody? Man, I see Bobby. Bobby, grace and peace to you, right? Cindy, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen? That's, that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. He says, let, let all that is done be for the glory of God. All good stuff, right? That was the emphasis of Paul's ministry. The glory of God. That should be the emphasis of all ministry. Amen? Come on. The emphasis of all ministry should be for the glory of God. And then we get into the reason for the letter. Verse 6 says this. I am astonished. Say astonished. I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I am astonished. If you're not familiar with Galatians, you might be a little caught off guard here. Paul jumps right into it. In fact, in the letters he wrote to the different churches, he would usually begin with some type of thanks and recognition for what was being done in that area. So he would say, man, to the Corinthian church, hey, let me call out this person and this person and thank them for what they're doing. And This is amazing. He got the Romans, same thing. He did the same thing in these different churches. But in this letter to the Galatians, he says, grace and peace be to you. Now let's get into it. I am astonished. I am shocked at what I've been hearing. The urgency is clear. I am surprised. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul wasn't pulling any punches, right? He directly confronts the issue. Now, it's interesting. Uh, let me tell you, that is not what is taught in conflict resolution today. It's really not. It's, it, it's this. First, you want to thank the person. You want to thank them for their hard work. You know, thank you so much for your hard work, Peg. You know, you did such a good job this last year. And, and, and listen, here's some positives I really want to emphasize and think of. And, and, you know, maybe here's something small you can work on and maybe here's something you can fix and blah, 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 blah. Why? Because we want to be, we're so sensitive. We want to make sure that nobody flips out. We want to make sure Peggy doesn't take her, her water bottle and throw it at me. It's not water, but that's okay. And so we have to be so sensitive about the, the feelings and the needs of these people. And so we say, well, just let me tell you all the good things before I get into the bad. And, and that's not, listen, I, I understand how in the workplace, in the marketplace, that might be a good idea because you don't want people to freak, freak out. But Paul didn't take that class and he wasn't teaching that course. Understand, this was an issue that needed emergency aggressive surgery. 
And Paul is getting to the heart of the matter as quickly as he can. And there are those who are distorted. They have distorted the gospel of Jesus. In this church, in this early church, they have distorted the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people are being taken in by it. And so Paul says, I'm astonished. I am shocked. I'm surprised that you're taken in by this here. I'm going to stop here and tell you that I know how Paul feels. And I think many of you do too. How many of you, you know somebody that, somebody you love, a relative, a close friend, a loved one, a spouse, a child that tells you, I no longer believe in Jesus? Says, I believe in, in something entirely different than what I was raised with and what I came to know as, know as truth. And now I question it. Now I've deconstructed it. Now I'm, now I'm living out my own faith, right? They say they, they still believe in Jesus, just not the Jesus we find in the Bible. They have a new belief system. They have a new gospel. Let me tell you something this morning. Gospel means good news. And the only good news is found in Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible this morning. Amen? That's the only good news. If you have found a different gospel, a different belief system, a different God, you are being deceived. You are being lied to. You are being led away from truth and towards a lie. And just like Paul, we are astonished. We are shocked. We are surprised that you have deserted him who saves to go after that which destroys. And I'm sure some people would say, well, you know, all we can do is pray for them and, and, and just in their distress, we can just pray and, and, and pray that the Lord just, you know, brings them back. How many know a lot of times we like to hide behind prayer? Because, yes, we absolutely should pray for them. We absolutely should pray for them. But don't hide behind prayer in it, giving you an excuse to not confront the sin. Don't hide behind prayer. We should pray, absolutely. But in conjunction with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we do it in love, we do it in grace, we do it with purpose. But don't just do nothing. Paul speaks with clarity and purpose in what he says next. He says this. I like this, man. Paul makes it real clear. If there's an angel, he says this, even if we or an angel, he says even if we, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you before, let him be accursed. Say accursed. As have said before, now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Remember that this is a gospel of grace, right? This is a gospel of freedom. Do you get what Paul is saying here? Because he doesn't just say it once, he says it twice. He says, let him be cursed. It's another way of saying, I curse him. It's another way of saying, get them away from you. It's another way of saying, avoid them or separate yourself from them. If anyone or anything, including an angel from heaven, an angel from heaven shows up. Right? How many uh, you've seen movies, you've seen TV shows, all of a sudden somebody experiences an angel and you see uh, there'll be music in the background. And, oh, 
All of a sudden, the, the stuff fades away, and the angel shows up, and that's an angel. If anything, including an angel. Why? Because sometimes the enemy shows up as an angel of light. The enemy shows up as an angel of light. And we go, ooh, an angel, we better listen. But if an angel, if we are an angel from heaven, he says, he says basically he runs the gamut. He says, if us or anything supernatural shows up with a gospel that is not Jesus, that is not Jesus that's found in the Bible, strike them out of your life. Some commentaries suggest that the wording here is more strong, that the wording is not a curse, but the wording is anathema. How many have ever heard of the word, word anathema? It means this, let them be accursed to hell. Let them be consigned to hell. And you say, this is harsh language. Pastor David, come on, man, this is the gospel of grace. Yes, it's a gospel of grace. It is the grace given by God to turn away from sin, to stop turning yourself over to false teaching, to stop being taken in by the latest trend or the latest fad. It's the grace to turn back to Jesus this morning. Amen? That's what the grace is for. That's what the freedom is for. One pastor likened it to Paul seeing people on a ship that was about to sink. And he was doing all he could to warn them, get off the boat. How many, how many know if you saw loved ones, family members, spouses, children getting on a boat and you knew that boat was about to sink, you would do everything you could to start yelling for them, get off the boat. That's the urgency of what Paul is doing here. That's the urgency of the letter to the Galatians of what Paul is doing here. This type of message, listen, the last thing Paul is worried about is offending somebody. The last thing he's worried about is offending somebody. Why? Because it's time to get off the boat. Well, I don't want to get off the boat right now. Get off the boat. Well, yeah, but if I get off the boat, I might get wet. and I, may, uh, I don't know what to do. Get off the boat. Yeah, but the boat is so comfortable. Man, that Titanic was super comfortable before it started sinking. Get off the boat. Paul is speaking with desperation to people that he loves, to a church family that he loves, to a church family that has been taken in and deceived by a false gospel. And so he says with clarity, with urgency, with passion, get off the boat. He was on a mission. The mission was from God, and nothing was going to hold him back. You say, well, what are people going to think of this guy? I mean, really, what are people going to think of someone who is telling people, get off the boat? They may look like a crazy person, right? How many ever seen, <laughs> listen, uh, I'm not one for like, you know, holding up a sign like turn or burn, uh, get right or get left type stuff. But, you know, there, the signs with the flames usually coming out of it. And, you know, you see them at carnivals or festivals or things like that. I'm not really one for that, but I can understand what they're saying. And I hope that their passion is rooted in Christ. 
that they are turning, asking people to turn away from their sin and turn towards God and turn towards righteousness. Why? Because they're on a mission. There's a guy that's down in Spencer. You guys have heard him, right? Just go, preaches, speaks, reads the Bible, preaches. I don't know the guy personally. I don't know his background. I don't know what denomination he belongs to. But I know that he's passionate about what he's saying. I know that he's passionate about getting the word out to people around him. But what must people think of him? Verse 10, Galatians chapter 1 says this, For am I seeking now the approval of man or of God? Am I seeking for the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Who am I seeking approval of? It's not you, and it's not you. It's him. Right? I love you guys. You're my church family. You're my, you're part of, happy birthday, Kay doll. Right? We love, we love our church family, but I'm not preaching for the approval of Kay doll. I'm preaching for the approval of Jesus. I love Mike Nichols, but I'm not preaching for your approval, man. I'm preaching for the approval of God. That's what Paul is doing here. It's not the people that I need approval from. It's God I need approval from. I have two options. I get man's approval or I get God's approval. Paul says, I am a servant of Christ. Paul is passionately writing to them about the dangers of the false teachers. And in that, we understand the context. Because honestly, context is really important here. Say really important. Say, say I want you to get this. Say really important. Paul is not telling us to cut unbelievers from our life. Understand that. I don't want anybody leaving here halfway through the message and going, man, that Pastor David, would you believe what he was saying? Someone's in the restroom right now and they're going to miss this message. The context here is important. Paul isn't telling us to cut believers out of our life because the truth is this, you know, uh, it's funny. You would think that based on what's been said already, you would go, yeah, if they, if they, if they're, if they don't believe the truth of Jesus Christ, kick them out. That's not the grace of God. That's not what Paul is talking about here, and that's not the context of what's being said here. He's not telling us to curse those who we are called to minister to, and he's not telling us to cut off those we are called to lovingly lead to Christ. No, no. He's specifically referring to those claiming to have authority from God that they simply don't have. They are false teachers. Now, some of you have family members, loved ones, spouses, children that have been taken in by these false teachers. Paul isn't telling you to kick them out of your life. Paul isn't telling you to separate yourself from them. Paul is telling the Christian church to separate themselves from the false teachers, the ones spewing this garbage. Who are the false teachers? Well, they're the people Paul's talking about here. But who are the false teachers? 
Now, let's first understand that I'm not talking about different perspectives within Christian orthodoxy. Okay, how many know that sometimes that, that uh, we may have disagreements with some teachings from churches down the road, right? But how many also know they're Christians, they love the Lord, they worship Jesus, they're going to heaven? Amen? How many know that there are some things we may disagree with churches down the road, but those are debates within the body? And so we can have lively debates, we can, have, we can talk about those things, we can have discussions about those things, but those things are not affecting salvation. And those things are not affecting whether or not we're part of the body of Christ. However, there are those who then go outside of Christian orthodoxy. We can speak clearly to false, false teachers today, because some are very blatant in their false teaching. How I many know there's some that are just like, boy, I can't, like, you're really just putting it out there like that? I mean, just blatant about it. They're not hiding the fact that they're false teachers. Mormonism is a cult. We refer to them as cults because they're false teachers. It has the name Jesus Christ, but the Jesus they worship is not the Jesus of the Bible. It is a false Jesus. And you say, but aren't they Christians? No, they are not. They are outside of Christian orthodoxy. They are a cult. They are, they are misled. They are deceived. And many of them aren't aware of it. I want to say this. This is going to be a rabbit trail, but it's okay. I was talking to a pastor friend, a guy that I really respect. And, he said, and we were talking about Mormonism. We were talking about people who were involved with Mormonism. And I said, you know what the wildest thing is? Most Mormons don't understand what they believe until they're really deep into it. And he goes, I know. He goes, I wonder, and he goes, I'm not, I'm not saying for sure, but he goes, I wonder if when they, when they first accept Jesus Christ, when they first get into Mormonism, I wonder what the grace is for that. I wonder how far into it they can get before they're believing in a false Christ and a false Jesus. And it's an, it's a, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting concept. It's an interesting discussion. Because the foundations of what they believe is in a false Jesus. But they don't advertise that. The dangers of what they believe is in a, a horrible policy or a horrible belief about where, where people other than white, black people, Hispanic people, where, where they come from. It's a horrific understand or what they have as an understanding. And we've talked about this. We, you know, If you haven't heard the teaching on it, ask me afterwards. But it's crazy stuff. You say, well, how far into it would they have to be before they just, I mean, they're not part of it. And I don't know the answer to that. Other than I know the foundations of it are false. And as much as they might be nice and, and give you the shirt off their back, and they're lovely, lovely people, they're deceived and they're lost in a false Jesus, in a false gospel. They're, it's a cult. Jehovah's Witness, same thing. It's a cult. How many know, how many know any Mormons? Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, a lot of them, right? How many know many, any Jehovah's Witnesses? Not as much. They used to go around all the time, two by two, right? I don't really see them too much anymore. Jehovah's Witnesses is a cult. They believe that Jesus is inferior to God. 
They deny the Trinity. It's a salvation by work system, et cetera, et cetera. There's all sorts of these. Listen, there are very easy ways to identify a false gospel. There are very easy ways to identify false teachers. The problem we have today is people who call themselves Christian but have no true understanding of what it means to be a Christian. They have no understanding of Christian thoughts, ideas, principles, beliefs. And so you would think when people hear blatant false things, blatant false teaching, they would recognize it and run from it. You would think that, right? You would hope so. You would pray so. Many years ago, there was a well-known pastor who shared the story of a married couple that were new believers. They attended a gospel rally in California by a, a, a preacher that was actually, he was ordained through the disciples of Christ, and he was doing this gospel rally in California. So this young married couple, new believers, go to this rally, and they're like, yeah, we want to see what the Lord is doing. They said the preacher got up and he spoke these words. You don't need your Bibles. You have a prophet of God in your midst. They said they looked at each other and went, it's time to go. Said this isn't right. We need to leave. So they left. Years later, they found out what happened to the people who followed that preacher. More than 900 of them committed mass suicide in a place called Guyana. The preacher's name was Jim Jones. And if you're old enough to remember who that is right now, it was crazy. And if you're not old enough to remember who it is, look it up because it was crazy. You think there's no way that would happen today. There's no way that would happen today. But the truth is, and I want to say this carefully, that many, many people in the Christian community are far more interested in what the latest so-called prophet has to say rather than what Scripture says. They want to know what does the latest prophet have to say rather than what Scripture says. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy this, that the Bible is wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture, say all Scripture, is God-breathed, is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. And please hear my heart this morning. I do believe that there are legitimate prophets out there today, but in my experience, they are few and far between. We need to be aware in the church that just because someone calls themselves prophet does not mean that they are speaking for the Lord. Many times they are speaking for their own pocketbook. They are speaking for their own bank account. Many of them are false teachers. We need to have a clear understanding of the Bible and a keen understanding of discernment. Why? Because some false teachers are blatant. It's obvious but some aren't. Some false teachers are subtle. Some false teachers sneak their way in. What they say sounds good. It looks good. It makes us feel good. The question is this, does it line up with the Word of God? Is it faithful to the Bible? Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, for the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. Say everything. Everything is uncovered and exposed before the eyes of him to him who who must give account. Those false teachers who are subtle, those false teachers who are blatant, they will have an account before God. Matthew 7.15, Jesus said to be aware of false prophets who come into you in sheep's clothes because honestly, they are inwardly ravenous wolves. Unfortunately, in my time and experience in the church, I have seen people taken in by this type of thing over and over and over again. And it stuns me. It, It truly astonishes me when what I thought was a solid believer is taken in by this stuff, by this false teaching. Remember I said that, that, that sometimes it's, it's subtle. It sounds good. It looks good. My grandmother loved the Lord. It's 90, she died in her 90s. And sometime in the 80s, her son ran away and went to go live in, in a real probably commune, hippie community, whatnot, in Hawaii. She never found him. He never returned home. It's my uncle. Never returned home, never found him. Reached out to him many times. Aunts, uncles, my, aunt, my, my dad, my aunt reached out to him. Never got a response or never got a response that we're aware of. But my grandmother would pray for him. Would pray, God, bring him to knowledge of you. Bring him back to the family. Bring him, I mean, it was very vocal about it. Would tell people around her, just, I'm praying for my son, Richard, and I'm praying that he comes to the Lord, and I'm praying that he comes back before I pass. How many, you know, that's the heart of a mother, right? That should be the heart of believers. We're in church on a Sunday morning, and there's a special speaker there. He's a prophet, so-and-so. And I still remember him grabbing my grandmother's hand as my grandmother just gushed to him about her son. And the prophet of God that said, the Lord is telling me that your son will come back to you before you die and repent and ask forgiveness. I'm paraphrasing, but along those lines. I still don't know where my uncle is to this day. I know my grandmother passed years and years ago. You say, well, Pastor David, what's what's the, I mean, is that, was he really a false prophet, a false teacher? All I know is this. There are some people who are much more concerned with money and fame and acknowledgement and titles than they are about the Word of God. And they are about being accurate.
there's a, I don't want to get off on some weird stuff, but there are some churches, some pastors, some prophets, some teachers, some evangelists whose focus is much more on their fame than on his. Whose focus is much more on their checking account than on the number of souls who make it to heaven. Let us have discernment. Let us be aware. Let us know our Bibles so that we can understand and call out that false teaching. It astonishes me. This, listen, you say, Pastor David, why do you get, you get emotional about it? The reason I preach passionately about this stuff, the reason I preach about this stuff is because I have seen the poison that false teaching is. Paul saw the same poison. Clearly false teaching creeping into the church. We've identified some of it today, but what was it back then? What was it back then? And this is where we both need time and study. I say time because to understand the letter to the Galatians means you have to understand the relationship that Paul had with them. And we don't see that until later in the book. And we don't see some of the false teaching until really the next chapter. But first, Paul is going to share his testimony. And it's more than just the road to Damascus experience, right? He's going to go into really deep detail about his testimony and his travels. And the truth is, we spoke about this at the beginning. Many of us already know Paul has an incredible testimony. It's incredible. There's no denying it, right? It's the road, Jesus speaking, transformational salvation. But for many, that's the extent of what they know about Paul. For many, that's all they know is, oh, yeah, he was on the road, and, and I think his name was changed, but now I don't know because Pastor David said something different, and, and now I have to look it up when I get home. In the coming weeks and through this series, I pray that you will come to have an understanding of who Paul is and really why he passionately preaches the gospel. So in going through this series, I pray, really, I pray that you will gain an understanding of the grace and the freedoms we have in Christ, as well as an understanding of what teachings to stay away from. How I many we want to have an understanding of the grace we have in Jesus, right? We want to have an understanding of the freedoms we have in Christ. We want to know what is false, and we want to know what to stay away from. Amen? Amen? Stay with me this morning. I think one of the key aspects of Paul's ministry was always, always, always focus on Jesus. Always, always, always let Jesus be the center. Always, always, always give glory to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for, when I say your word, the scriptures. 
the Bible, your holy word given to us for instruction, for conviction, correction, for training. Lord, let us hold fast to your word this morning and moving forward. Let us be hungry for your truth. Let us be thirsty for living water this morning. Lord, let us not be swayed by false teaching. Let us recognize it and with love and passion warn people away from it. Jesus, let our hearts and minds be focused on making sure you are glorified in all we do. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning, over those who are watching online. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. And I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. Lord, that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen.